Good morning, Grace Fellowship Sunday School class. Um, sorry I can't be with you guys today as I am at home having to quarantine, uh, but I thought I'd record a video you guys can watch. Um, we won't be able to do any Q&A because I can't read your minds, uh, but you know, there might be some extra time at the end. You guys can discuss among yourselves, but we're looking at a larger catechism question 155 this morning. Question 155 is the question, how was the word made effectual unto salvation? And um, I would like you to follow along if possible. This is a longer answer. Um, if you don't have it from last semester, I would recommend downloading onto your phone. If you have an iPhone, it's an app called Christian Creeds and Confessions, which has the larger catechism. Or uh, on Google Play, I think it's just called Creeds and Confessions. Or I think mine is just called Creeds. But um, one of those apps should have the larger catechism on it. You could actually be downloading that right now. And then you'll just have it um, for easy reference. Uh, larger catechism booklets are actually quite hard to come by. They're either quite expensive or out of print, and you have to order them from Scotland. Anyways, the shorter catechism is much more popular than the larger catechism. So Christian Creeds and Confessions is the app. I believe there's one made by Westminster Seminary. And I would recommend, actually, one thing you could do that I have done in the past is if you have your catechism or confession handy, what you do is you just make it your go-to time filler when, say, you're waiting in line at the bank or you are early for a meeting with a friend at coffee and you have four minutes, two minutes. You just open it up and you can read one nice little paragraph, one nice little section, and you've just, you're getting those doctrinal basics set. So I'd recommend that. Just keep that app handy, pop it open when you have a spare moment, and just read a paragraph. It'll be helpful for you being established, encourage your heart, all that good stuff. So we're looking at question 155. How is the word made effectual unto salvation? We saw last time the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament. These means God uses to grow us in grace. So question 155 of the larger catechism, how was the word made effectual unto salvation? Here's the answer. The spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Amen. Let's ask God's blessing on this study. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us as we consider your word, your word that brought this universe into existence, the word also of grace and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would we reverence your word all our days and would you help us now as we look to its qualities. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this whole question is basically answering um, how does the Spirit of God make the reading and especially the preaching of wor the Word an effectual means of salvation? All these other qualities listed are just components of that whole growth in grace. As we saw last time, salvation, past, present, and future. That's what we're talking about. Salvation holistically. The Word of God is one of the means that God uses to bring about that initial 
salvation from the penalty of sin to work in our lives now, salvation um, from the power of sin, and to one day save us from the very presence of sin. The word of God is working to bring all that about. And the question says, or the answer says that the spirit makes the word an effectual means of salvation. Now notice, it's not the word by itself that is an effectual means of salvation. It's not the reader of the word or the preacher of the word that is an effectual means of salvation. Um, the preacher doesn't make it an effectual means. Only notice the spirit of God makes the reading of the word and especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of salvation. Okay, the word of God, if it's just the words on a page, is that it, words on a page. The reason why these words on a page, these words read and spoken are so powerful is because it's the Spirit of God that alights upon them. And the Word of God is the Spirit's chosen tool to work on the hearts and minds of the children of man. And because it is the Spirit that makes the Word effectual, um, we know that without the Spirit, the Word is ineffectual. So what does that immediately mean for us by way of application? It means that it is essential to bring prayer into our use of the word. Because if the spirit is necessary for the word to have an effect, then we need to be supplicating God for the spirit. That the spirit would attend upon all our reading. That the spirit would blow upon all the preaching and the hearing of the word. We need the Spirit to blow upon the Word as a coal, to wield the Word as a sword, to empower the Word as an engine. And so let's never forget in all our use of the Word of God, it doesn't work by itself, but it works by the Spirit. And therefore we need to be praying God for more and more of the Spirit in our use of the Word. Now, the answer says that he makes the reading of the Word a means of salvation. Reading the Word is important, we know. And we emphasize it a lot in our day, but let us not forget that through most of world history, most people couldn't read. Most of the world was illiterate. Um, being literate was generally saved for the upper class. And let us not also forget that um, written texts before the printing press were very hard to come by. They were written by hand. They were very expensive. I forget the exact number, but even buying a book after the printing press, in the time of the Reformation, each book cost, I think it was an equivalent to about a couple thousand dollars today. Like imagine um, if every book you owned on your shelf was like a MacBook Pro. That's what you had to spend for each book you were going to have. So reading was a much less used means in the past just because it was so rare. Now, the word of God was read in the synagogues of the Jews. They read from the law and the prophets. You see that in the book of Acts. They, have, they had different readings. And people had to go to the synagogue to hear the word of God read because they didn't have access to it themselves. But the fact that the word is written and it can be read is very important because that's how standards of information are maintained. It's not just an oral history that can get slowly transmuted over time. But having a permanent written word is essential to help maintain uh, just the, the veracity and purity of the communication. It maintains it over long term. 
And so the reading of the word is an effectual means of salvation. But notice the Catechism says, especially the preaching of the word. Now, most people don't talk that way, that the reading of the word is effective, but especially the preaching. This is something we hold dear in the Reformed tradition. We recognize that there is something special about the proclamation of the word of God. There's a difference between the word read and the word proclaimed. Just even think in scripture the significance given to the spoken word of God. It's God's word spoken that brings the universe into existence. God spoke by the prophets, and only after the speaking and the revelation, the writings came later. Also note, God could have given us a book he wrote um, by his own finger from top to bottom, dropped it out of heaven. But God chose primarily to commu co communicate with humanity through his prophets speaking. Remember, the only part of scripture God's finger wrote was the Ten Commandments. God primarily has always communicated to his people via preachers. In Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 2, we read that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, okay? God mainly spoke to the fathers by the prophets. The prophets heard first, and then secondly, the prophets read. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. It's interesting that Jesus only ever communicated with humanity in his life on earth orally. Jesus wasn't a writer. He was a preacher, a preacher who was heard. And it is primarily through preaching, modeled on the preaching of Christ, the preaching of the apostles, that the word of God bears fruit unto salvation. This is um, a key text is Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, which is talking about how does salvation come to the peoples of the world. Verse 13 says, it reminds us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul asks the, the question, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God's word proclaimed is his ordinary means of bringing about salvation to this world. How are they to call on him um, whom they have not believed? And actually, it's been pointed out by scholars before, in verse 14, there's a word in. It says, how are they to believe in him? Of whom they have never heard. That word in is not in the original text. And so many have argued that it should rightfully read, how are they to believe him of whom they've never heard? That is to say, how are they to believe the Christ whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without a preacher, without someone preaching? And therefore, how can they preach unless they're sent? And so we recognize that there's a real sense in which Men and women, boys and girls, hear Christ himself through the preaching of the word. The reformers were fond of saying that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. How are they to believe him of whom they've never heard? 
Well, they hear Christ through his commissioned ministers. Notice verse 15. It's important. It says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? This is, again, something we give very high credence to in the Reformed tradition, in the OPC, is that preaching is so potent, preaching is so important and powerful, that there ought to be a sentness about those who preach, a commissioning, an ordaining. Um, as, as you know, last week I um, was officially given my license to preach. I was just reflecting on that language. Um, that wasn't in the tradition I grew up with. Um, Anyone could preach. Anyone could grow up and they say, hey, you're passionate. You preach here. You become a pastor here. There was no um, structure at all. And I was just thinking, how much respect do we give the preaching of the word? Um, we know that people can do a lot of harm by driving a vehicle recklessly or dangerously. Therefore, we give people licenses to drive vehicles. Well, it makes sense. In the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, we value the communication of the Word of God so highly that we want to make sure people can be licensed before they officially are truly preaching the Word of God in a sent capacity. That is, it's a group of elders, ministers, putting their mark on a person saying, we trust your doctrine, we trust your knowledge, we trust your gifting, we trust the testimonies that godly men and women have given about you. And therefore, we are putting our stamp of approval, giving you a license to preach. I'm just reflecting on how uh, wise that is. We remember James 4. James says, not many should become teachers because there's a higher accountability for teachers. Because especially the preaching of the word of God is an effectual means of salvation. And this is how God has always grown the church, through the preaching of the gospel, through sent ordained and commissioned preachers. Now, when we think about evangelism, we often first think of personal evangelism, sharing the gospel with a neighbor, um, a family member, co-worker, which is good. But the most effective form of evangelism, indeed the main way, even the statistics will tell you that people get saved, is when they are invited to church and they hear the word of God proclaimed by a minister of God. God delights to save people in the gathered assembly under the preaching of the word. And therefore, one of the best ways to evangelize is to invite people to church, to put out an invitation. You don't need enough knowledge. You don't need enough skills. Invite people to hear the word of God preached by a sent preacher of the word. There is much power there. Now, that's not to minimize the witnessing activity of godly men and women. Um, personal conversation is a wonderful place to work out questions and talk through personal objections. But there is something special about how the Holy Spirit generally sees fit to alight upon the preaching of the word. That's why we value so highly making sure there is an element of Christ being proclaimed. Every message, the word of God. That is an effectual means of salvation. Now, let's look at that list of those specific ways that this answer talks about how the uh, word of God works. And I want to bring up a bunch of verses here, right? We're talking about the word. So let's look to some verses that show us these things. So let's look first at the first phrase. We're told that the word of God is an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners. 
the whole the word of God really does do a work in the heart of the sinner to expose him to show him his sin. You remember that famous passage about the word in Hebrews chapter 4 where we're told in Hebrews 4:12 that the word of God is a living is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I love this idea that the spirit or the word of God is like a sword that can pierce far deeper into the human heart than anything else. Get to those deepest and darkest places, exposing even those sinful motives that would be behind even good-seeming deeds. Expose the pride of the sinner. Expose his self-reliance and lack of um, love for God. The word of God is so sharp like a sword, and in the hand of the Spirit as a skilled surgeon to cut right to the marrow, to cut right where the sinner needs to be cut. And the Spirit, again, it comes with the word. It opens the eyes of blind sinners to see the glory of Christ. It convinces them of the truth of the gospel. Some ask, how can I be sure that Christianity is true? Um, earlier we saw last semester, um, there's all these qualities in the word of God, but we confess that it's the spirit of God alone that can truly give assurance and faith to know that the message of Christ is true. It humbles the sinners. It shows him his need of a savior. The answer continues. The word of God is an effectual means of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ. You remember when Peter's preaching in Acts 2, he's preaching to the people the word of Christ. And the result, how does the spirit work? Well, in Acts 2.37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? The word of God cut them to the heart and made them ask that question, what shall we do to be saved? In Reformed theology, historically, we call this the second use of the law. The first use is um, the law is useful to help govern society and retain good order. The third use is as a guide in a holy life. But there's a special use of the law for the sinner to show him his sin and to show him how desperate his need is of a savior. And from that view, the gospel comes and offers Christ to the one that is being thrust upon him as the word of God and the spirit of God are working to convict of sin. Now, a second use of the word in this process of salvation, this sanctification in the Christian life, it says it's useful for conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will. Isn't that what we want? To be made more like Christ. And we grow in Christ's likeness through the Spirit's work by the word of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the glory of the Lord. So notice, this text says that as we behold God's glory, we are made more like God. That is, as we behold Christ by the eye of faith, we become more like Christ the more we behold him. If you want to read a, 
wonderful book about that. John Owen's book, The Glory of Christ, is an extended meditation on how we, when we behold the glory of Christ, we grow in Christ-likeness. We're conformed to his image and subdued to his will. We often ask, what's God's will for my life? How do I know what God's will is for me? Well, his will has been given to you in the Holy Scriptures. That is God's will for your life. And we want to be subdued to his will, right? It's almost like we're in a wrestling match. Our wills are constantly wrestling with God's will. But we actually want God to beat us, to subdue us, to put us in a hold until our will gives up, taps out, and says, I will be yours. I will obey you, God. I will walk in your ways. We want to be subdued to the will of God, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, and to choose all his ways of obedience. Thirdly, the word of God is an effectual means of strengthening believers against temptations and corruptions. Don't we need this? We know our own weakness. We know our own sin all too well. We know our personal temptations that we come up against. And we need to be strengthened against them by the word of God. Think of that, that battle language in Ephesians 6, 16 to 17, where we're told above all to take the shield of faith wherewith we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Word of God is a spiritual sword, useful for battle. By it we wage a good warfare. What does Psalm 119.9 say? It asks, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Um, I like... John Piper's ministry, Desiring God, they have all these packs of Bible verses to memorize, but I love that they call them fighter verses. These are verses to memorize and use in the fight. For instance, um, they would say, if you're fighting against a sexual temptation, take your fighter verse, Matthew 5, 8, and remember, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And you fight with that. The temptation comes and you think, no, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to see God. I'm going to strive after purity. The word of God provides that resolve in our wills, that knowledge in our minds. It helps um, work those affections in our hearts that we would love righteousness and hate wickedness. We want to hide God's word deep in our hearts. Fourthly, the word of God is effectual in building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Grace, holiness, comfort, um, beautiful gifts for the child of God. In Acts 20, 32, Paul says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those which are sanctified. The word provides a path of maturity. The word helps us persevere in this faith. Uh, the word is to us kind of like a sail that unfurls in which the Spirit of God blows to guide us all the way to that heavenly promised land. Christ himself would be that hull, that ship that keeps us from sinking. The word of God is our standard, but the Spirit of God blows, and that path, word and spirit together, carries us all the way home. The word of God is powerful. 
And what might you be looking for in your life? What are you hoping for? What do you want? The sorts of qualities we see in this answer, enlightenment and knowledge, humility, Christ-likeness, obedience, strength of soul, purity, maturity, holiness, comfort, salvation. What more could you want? And all of these are produced in the children of God by means of the Spirit of God working by the Word. The Word of God is, as it were, a hammer in the hand of the Spirit that He uses to drive each one of these qualities into us. I love those words in Jeremiah 23, 29, where the prophet declares, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The word of God is an effectual means of salvation. And so is it any wonder that the longest song of praise we have in scripture, Psalm 119, is a song extolling and declaring the qualities of the word of God, God's laws, his testimonies, his statutes. I'd encourage you this week, make it your task to read Psalm 119. Read one or two sections a day, work slowly through it, and just let yourself be reminded of the goodness and the glory of the Word of God. The Word of God is like a power tool, right? You, you know work with hand tools goes slowly. If you were in construction and every time you had to cut something, you had to use a handsaw, you know that would be toilsome work. But the, the electricity of the Spirit and the tool of the Word Together, they can accomplish so much. And we're trying to build godly lives, like building a house. And therefore, whatever problems we're facing, whatever things we want to add and renovate in our lives, we need to look at the Word of God as the tool we want to use. In our problems in life, we don't want to look first to the world. We want to look first to the Word of God. Now, does the Word of God speak to every issue in its specifics? No, but we first look at those foundational principles we find in the Word. Make sure we have those in line before we start applying and building on that foundation. Specific things we learn from um, the light of nature. Proverbs 24.3 says that by wisdom, a house is built. And so, what do we need to remember if we really are believing how the Word of God works so powerfully in us. We need to remember first that we need to reverence the Word. We need to hold the Word of God in high esteem. And if we are really reverencing the Word, holding it in high esteem, that means we will be people that want to read the Word, to delight in reading it, who read it for um, a quality experience, not just to have read it, not just to tick some checkboxes in a reading plan, but to know God's will, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Always read the Word of God prayerfully. We're going to be looking at that in detail um, in a week or two. But we'll be people who read the Word, also who love to sit under the preaching of the Word. If that's where the power is, that's where we need to be. We need to be under the preaching of the Word. We need to be inviting people to come sit under the preaching of the Word. It means also we need to submit ourselves to the instruction of the Word, to truly sit under it and be willing to let the Word challenge us. Um, to pray like David, search me and know me, O God. Try my heart and mind. See if there's any evil way in me. 
and lead me in the way everlasting. And lastly, we need to be doers of the word, right? It's not enough to just hear it and sit under it, but we want to be those who are not hearers only, but doers of the word. And we're going to be looking at that in James chapter 1 next week. The word of God is powerful. Make it a part of your home life. Read the word with your children. Help that, them to learn it, because that's where the power is. I just want to end by reading from Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14, a wonderful ode um, about the word of God. Psalm, 1, Psalm 19, 7 to 14 tells us, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us a sure word, a word as a steady anchor, one that is fixed and unchanging, and one that reveals to us your truth, the way of life, and especially that reveals Christ. We ask that your word will bear much fruit in our personal lives, in our families, and in our congregations, that we will never neglect it or forget about it, but we will be um, coming reverentially as students submitted to hear the words of our master. Would you bear fruit in our worship this morning, that the preaching of your word would be blessed by the power of your spirit. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sorry again, I couldn't be there with you all. Hopefully I'll be back. I should be back next week. Um, we're done a bit early. Um, enjoy this time. You can talk amongst yourselves. Maybe something you want to do is just a good icebreaker today, conversation starter. Ask someone what their favorite verse of scripture is, if they have one. Um, let's be a people that love to talk about and see the word of God spread among us. So take care. Um, worship God today.